if you look at Content Marketing Institute stats, the average enterprise creates and distributes content 13 to 16 different ways. That means that they're probably failing because they're not the New York Times maturity level where they can do these types of things. What I would probably recommend doing is do a cursory audit. You don't have to spend a lot of money on it, but spend a week or two and do an audit of all the things that you're doing. Put them all down and you'll look at it and say, oh my God, we're creating content for 15 different ways. Then start getting some data on what's working and what's not. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? Let me tell you. In short, it's a good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. I don't know about you, but I am ready to chat. Are you ready to listen? In today's episode, we are covering one of my favorite subjects, which anybody who knows me knows this. It is content marketing, and we're doing it with the content marketing king. Definitely content marketing royalty. That's what we're talking about. Today, my guest is Joe Pulitzi. Now, Joe Pulitzi is a content marketing expert, best-selling author of seven books and founder of The Tilt and Creator Economy Expo. He coined the term content marketing in 2001 and launched Content Marketing Institute. Joe's podcasts include Content Marketing Inc. and This Old Marketing. He also is the force behind The Orange Effect helping children with speech therapy and technology. And he's based in Cleveland, Ohio. So let's talk marketing with Joe Pulitzi. Joe, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. I am super excited to have you on here. I'm a fan of all of your books. I didn't tell you that before I pressed start, but I am such a fan. I'm like fangirling over here is really what it is. So thank you. This is a great place to start. I'm glad that you started the podcast by just throwing out compliments. It's a great strategy when you have somebody on. Just say, oh, you're amazing. Thank you. You can't be in a bad mood. (laughs) Gotcha. It's, It's great to be on with you. Happy to share some time and we'll have some fun. Absolutely. So today we're going to dive into content marketing. But before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit better. So I always like to ask my guests where their first marketing role was or what your first marketing role was. And then also to see your evolution, what do you currently do? So let's start with your first marketing role. I was a marketing intern for the Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team. So that's my first sort of marketing role. And it really wasn't marketing. I was an intern, so I was getting coffee. And I remember my one job is taking as many Gatorade bottles as I could and shoving them into a Chevy so that people could count them. So anyways, I did those types of things. Believe it or not, even though I founded Content Marketing Institute, I've never had a formal marketing role. I started in publishing, which thankfully I did because, of course, we'll talk about content marketing in a little bit. I mean, the core is publishing. So I started in 2000. I started as an account manager for Penton Custom Media. And so instead of selling advertising and selling trade show booths, we did custom magazines for Microsoft and Autodesk and Agilent Technologies, helping them tell their stories better. So my first entree into the whole thing was 
figuring out, okay, here's a large business to business company. They don't want to advertise. How do we help them with their goals by not advertising and not interrupting people? And then I ended up running that department and left in 2007 to create what became Content Marketing Institute. Which you then sold. What do you do now? Because you do a myriad of things. So yeah, my wife and I own that company. We sold in 2016, mostly because of our event, Content Marketing World, which was then and still is today the largest in-person event in the world for content marketing. Took a sabbatical in 2018, best year of my life. If you can afford to do it, I totally recommend it. And then by the end of that, I actually wrote a novel, my first novel called The Will to Die. I'm working on my second one now. I was going to be a full-time novelist, Katja. That was sort of my whole goal. I was going to go into writing novels. And then the pandemic came along and I started to get into this thing called the creator economy and trying to help content creators build full-time businesses, what we call content entrepreneurs. And that's what I'm doing now. So we run the event Creator Economy Expo. We just had our second event in Cleveland, Ohio. And we run a site called thetilt.com, which is a newsletter for content creators to help them become professional content creators and not content entrepreneurs. And in the meantime, I write, I've got two podcasts and just finished writing another book, Epic Content Marketing, the second edition, as you talked about. So I'm doing all the things. It's just a wonderful life just being sort of a full-time content creator once you get into the groove. It is amazing. I also appreciate all of the different types of content that you're producing. Just in that conversation, it's all from helpful books for marketers with your epic book and then your podcast, that's content as well too, your novel. I mean, all of these things are so huge and such a big chunk. Also, it doesn't look like you're going to slow down anytime soon. I enjoy it. I mean, I found my passion as a content creator, but I like doing all the things. The one thing I really don't like to do is do the video thing. I'm not big on YouTube. But we've had this old marketing podcast for over 10 years now. So that's on 375 episodes or something. And then I do a five-minute Content Inc. podcast, which is a motivational one. And I have a goal of writing a book every two years. So 2023 was Epic Content Marketing. I probably will come out with another one in 24. That will be the novel. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. It's funny because the novel that I wrote, it is a thriller. It's a small-town murder mystery, but it's also educational because the protagonist is a marketing agency owner. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Marketers will really get a kick out of it because, of course, I get a a whole content marketing lesson in there around people dying. (laughs) It's all about the content. That's really what it's all about. I love that you already outlined what it is that you like and what you don't like. And I think it's interesting that it's video that you don't like because it's such a big player right now, too. I just interviewed someone who specializes in video marketing specifically. So I was just surprised that you mentioned video. I mean, I'm not shy about it at all, but it takes a lot more work than I think people put into it. My good friend, I don't know if you know Jay Bear, but he went into doing tequila shorts now. So he does tequila informational videos on Instagram and TikTok. And it takes a lot of his time to do. It's done really, really well, but it takes a lot of his time. So when I'm looking at the time that I have to give, and so this is sort of a lesson for everyone, I do a lot of writing and I do a lot of podcasting. If I was going to open up myself and say, look, I want to focus on this area, doing videos, whether that's on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, whatever the case is, you have to commit to it consistently over a long-term period of time. So I have to give up something. I'd have to kill something else that I'm doing in order to free up time so that I could be excellent at that. Because what a lot of people do is say, oh, they got to do all the things, right? I got to be everywhere. Yes. And if you're everywhere, it's very easy to do content. I do content audits for a lot of companies and a lot of entrepreneurs. 
And they'll say, Joe, what's wrong? Why isn't things things working? I'm like, oh, well, you're on Twitter. You're doing Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You've got webinars you're doing. You're doing the podcast. You're doing this research project over here. You're doing all the things. So you're jack of all trades, master of none. That's why you're not building an audience. It's better to kill off five or six of those things and focus on doing one or two things amazingly well. So I've been able to add every year or so I can add something. Yeah. Have some help to to put some of these pieces together so I can keep the quality up on the podcast or the blog or the newsletter that I have. But it's better to just like if you're getting started, you're like, okay, I've got to do one thing really well. Just like Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson is the number one YouTuber in the world. How did that happen? Number one media company in the world probably is going to be Mr. Beast's empire. Just focused on YouTube for the first seven years. That's it. Just I'm going to be great at YouTube. I'm going to figure out the algorithm. I'm going to figure out my audience. I'm going to figure out what we call a content tilt, your differentiation area. And now Mr. Beast is worth a billion dollars. It doesn't happen by accident. That's how media empires are born. All of that. And I like that you've connected it to marketing in general at this life lesson. I think I view it as this life lesson of if these are the things that you love, you are going to have to give up something else in order to pursue things. I feel like that's such great advice. Marketing today, to me, is all about focus and patience. Yeah. Two things that most companies don't have. So that's why most companies are horrible at marketing. Agree. Because they don't focus on the core audience and what their differentiation area, what they bring to the table. And then they're patient enough to go past these quarterly reports and these immediate KPIs and say, oh, look, we're having content marketing. Somebody comes to me and says, Joe, I want to do a content marketing program. I've got six to nine months. What should I expect? I say nothing. You should expect nothing. And so maybe some good qualitative feedback. Yeah. But it takes a long time to build an audience that knows, likes, and trusts you much longer than six months. If you need immediate results, don't do content marketing. Go interrupt people. Yeah, go do billboards or do pay-per-click or do social ads. If you need immediate, you're not going to get immediate off of something that takes a long time to build a relationship. That's why I love content marketing, because once you build that audience, you can do amazing things. But it does take time. It's building a relationship with content is really what you're leveraging that content for with your audience, right? And it's like the consistency thing. I think you're right. We're totally diving into it. I do have a couple more questions. Because you're so knowledgeable, I would like to know which social networks, if you go to any of these social networks for this, to be inspired, to be educated, or to be entertained. Do you go to social networks for any of those things? So I've chosen my network to be LinkedIn from a social media standpoint. I spend most of my time creating content on that platform, and I also engage in that platform. You have to make a decision, right? I used to be all Twitter for a variety of reasons. I don't know what Elon's doing these days with Twitter, so I'm a little bit off on that. I made a decision And this is not a marketing decision. This is a personal decision not to go on TikTok at all. Interesting. Okay. I'm a little bit weary of the way the data is being used. And I'm also concerned about the fate of humanity when you spend three to five to seven hours a day on an app. And it's so addicting. I see my kids. I've got kids of 20 and 22 years old. I mean, I see how they are. I see kids younger than that. I see my friends that they can't sleep at night because they're on TikTok. So that's a whole nother issue. It's a whole other podcast. I have concerns there as well. But to answer your question, LinkedIn is sort of where I go for almost everything and education as well. My audience is there. So it really, really does help. 
we just talked about focus. If you put enough time into one platform, you will reap the benefits of it, but it does take considerable investment to get there. So I've gone all in on LinkedIn and not to say that that's a place for me. I know some people that are all in on YouTube. Yeah. And they get all their information and all their learning and everything there. I just happened to go to LinkedIn and went all in there. I feel like it's underused and undervalued sometimes. Everyone's going to all of the different social networks. Outside of social networks, especially because you're living in this creator economy space, you know, helping other creators, where do you go to stay up to date on trends that is not a social network? I'm probably lucky because we have a news show, a podcast called This Old Marketing. I've been doing it for 10 years. So basically, I get a lot of newsletters. I get Morning Brew. I get the Daily New York Times that I look at. I get a lot of newsletters from creators like Sahil Bloom or Jay Klaus, and I get a bunch of links. And Robert Rose is my co-host on This Old Marketing, and he gets a bunch of links. And we come together every week and we talk about four or five news. For example, this week we're talking about AI. Everything's AI that we're going into, and we've got three or four news articles that come from TechCrunch and Mashable and CNN Business and Axios and Fortune and Forbes and all those places. So it's just been a wonderful exercise of really it's helped my career because we just decided to do a new show and nobody kind of back to the differentiation. Yeah, there's nobody that does a content marketing news show today, probably because it, it must not reap rewards for a lot of people because we're still the only ones doing it for the last 10 years. That's what we've done. So that's helped us keep up to date as well. I have some theories about that that actually is a really great segue into the let's talk marketing strategy part that leads me into content marketing because I think that there's probably not one because in my experience, content is something that affects everything but is not the first thing that people think about when they're sitting at, I'm envisioning this brand conference table that's really long or like, what are we going to do? The thought is not always immediate of like, all right, what content can we create to support? So I'd love to hear from you. What's the value of content in any sort of marketing strategy or in any business strategy? What is that value? Sure. I mean, marketing is about attention, right? So you're trying to get attention, then maintains or change of behavior. That's why we're in marketing. So we're not creating all this content because we want to give hugs out to all our customers, which is a nice thing to do, but hugs don't pay the bills. At the end of the day, we need to maintain or change behavior. So why would we decide to do content marketing? So content marketing is we're going to create valuable, compelling, and relevant information on a regular basis to a targeted audience in order to see some kind of a behavior change. I believe that the core to attention today is through delivering consistent information to one person and them subscribing, opting into that information over a long period of time, and they come to know, like, and trust you. When somebody comes to know, like, and trust you, you can sell them just about anything. So that's my belief. That's a content marketing issue, right? So it's like we have things that we have to sell right now in the organization, but long-term, how are we going to grow and sustain the business? You know, creating the blog, the newsletter, the podcast, the YouTube series, webinar series, the event. Yeah, Those are all good things to do as part of building a relationship with your audience. So I feel that that absolutely works. Also, for the people today that are entrepreneurs, I also feel it's the best way to start a business. I don't feel you should go and launch and say, I'm going to sell knitting materials today or I'm going to sell photography equipment. I would say launch something where you can build an audience first. And then once you build that audience, they will tell you exactly what they want to buy. 
I mean, that's how Content Marketing Institute was started. It was just a blog. It was called The Content Revolution. I started it in 2007. And we started to send out these blog posts three, four times a week, build an audience of about 10,000 email subscribers. And then I just talked to them on a regular basis. I sent them emails, I did surveys, and I tried to figure out what their problems were. I need training for my team. There's nobody out there doing content marketing training. Joe, is there an event out there where I could get all my team together where we could learn these best practices and I could converse with people that are dealing with the same challenges as I am? Well, none of those things were being solved. And I said, okay, well, let's do training and let's create an event called Content Marketing World. So not rocket science at all, but we built the audience first and then went ahead and then launched the products associated with that. So I think that if most companies were to start today with a marketing program, it just makes a lot more sense to say, why don't we just send stuff that our customers need and help them get a better job or live a better life in some way? And if we do a really good job about that, they'll trust us and buy the stuff that they need Yeah, as well. I don't think that we would launch a business if everything was level set and we were all starting over. They wouldn't say, let's interrupt people as much as we possibly can. Let's throw all these ads in front of them. No, nobody would ever do that. We would do it the way that makes sense, like human beings would want to be treated. The problem is, and we talked about this, it just takes time. It just takes a long time for this stuff to work. And a lot of marketers, most marketers just don't have patience. And we live on quarterly reports. Yes. And stock prices. And they're like, oh, we need the stuff now. Well, that's why you have to build these things in slowly. You can't just say, I'm going to stop all my interruption marketing today to do content marketing. That will get you fired immediately. Now, someday you could get there three years, four years. You could absolutely go 100% content marketing, but not at the start. I've always viewed content as something that can work well with the interruption marketing, as you're calling it, which I love that. It seems so intrusive to call it, to call it that. Yeah, all of the growth marketers are like, no, don't call it that. I always feel like content can help support that, right? Because if I've created this ebook, right, that I need to get out there and there's the organic way that does take time, but being able to leverage that ebook as like, is that sexy enough for someone to want to download if I put it in a social ad? Do I want to post it on social organically to see? Do I want to include it in my newsletter? And a lot of times I think that's the disconnect that I've seen in marketing departments is it's not just, oh, I created this ebook. If you just create it and nobody knows about it, it's like you didn't create it. Is it the tree in the forest? That's a great point. My co-host, Robert Rose, always says that content marketing is like butter. It makes everything taste better. Oh, my gosh. I'm totally going to steal that. I <laughs> love it. He's been using that for years. I remember this is like 15 years ago when we were doing workshops and he just had a piece of bread. And the next slide, he'd show butter on it. It's like, doesn't this look better? It's just better. So he basically would go through, what about your search programs? Wouldn't it be better if you had all this organic activity? What about your public relations? It's much better if you add in content marketing where people are searching for stuff and they get something to subscribe to an email newsletter. So and your advertising program, you're doing some campaign around something. And when people start searching for stuff and start finding stuff, they stop, find your other content, your other case study. So yes, it should all work together as one. Generally not. 20 years ago, it was custom publishing. It was a small, unloved group, generally would form meetings by the boiler in the basement of most organizations. They were doing the company magazine or something or the company newsletter. And now content marketing has a seat at the table. But hopefully, if you're the content marketer, you're going and talking to the person that's in charge of all these other things and saying, hey, yeah, what content do you need to help? And that's what sales, right? Yes. There's a really good case study 
Xerox was having some issues where they were creating all this content, but the sales team wasn't using any of it. And they were creating tons of blog posts and eBooks and white papers and everything. They would do it every week, but none of it was being used. So they basically said, okay, we're just going to send an email to our sales team and we're going to have three bullet points, three pieces of content and how sales are using it or could use that piece of content in their business right now. And then things took off. Instead of sending them to an intranet and saying, here's all the content you have that you should be using. Well, salespeople don't work that way. It's like, hey, what do you got? You got an ebook. How can I use this? Use it this way. How should I use it? You could put it on LinkedIn and do this, send it out to customers at this stage of the buying process. They just need a little bit of guidance. So they use that content. Yeah, a little bit of enablement support. And I think the thing with also content marketing too is when you're in it, you can feel like a lone wolf, right? Like I've been in that position. How can you say we have no content? We've created, to your point, blogs and podcasts and webinars and one sheets and all of these things. And then there's like this piece of the sales team isn't using it or the other team isn't like customer success isn't using it. Or I don't know, people aren't picking it up on the website name all of the reasons that people wouldn't use it. And so I think like there is this need for any content marketer to be just as much of an advocate internally within their company as it is externally. So it's great that we've created this for the content consumer. But if our team internally can't evangelize it also, then it's probably not going to go as far as it can. Oh, it's a great point. I mean, I'm a disciple of Don Schultz from Northwestern, who passed away a couple of years ago, but Don always said, before you do anything externally in marketing, you should be focused 100% internally. Yeah. So who are the people you need? That's why I love internal communications. So if you are the marketing world, what is your newsletter to your employees? We'll work with HR on these things. Your best spokespeople for your organization are your employees. They're your best salespeople. Yeah. So how are you And arming those people, I mean, that's why I loved IBM in the early days where their social media was amazing because they said, please go out, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, do all the things. Here's how you do it. We'll help set it up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're doing that today, but boy, back in the day, that was amazing. And then all those people were speaking at events and getting out there and that just took IBM to a whole nother level. So I would say start internally and especially with content marketing. You need to do that because most people in the marketing executive ranks think they know what content marketing is, but they really don't have an idea. They think of it as, oh, is it social media content? What are we talking about here? It is. Yes. I feel like it's all of those things. Yeah, it is. Exactly. So basically, when you talk to marketing executives, you want to get down to, okay, what are we trying to do? Because that's all they really care about. Are we trying to create more loyal customers? Are we trying to get our current customers to buy more stuff? We need new customers. We need a new product launch. We need people buying. Like, What are we trying to do? They ultimately don't care how you get there. They just want it to work. Yeah. So as long as you're on the same page and you can say, okay, this is how we're reaching that goal. Here's the hypothesis we're setting. We're 10% increase in customer yield this particular product and we're getting there through this program of content. We're going to continue to do this for X period of time and then pivot based on the information that we receive from the audience and what they say and what they like and the behavior and what they're clicking on, where they're going to and how they've changed their those types of things. But most CMOs aren't thinking about, oh yeah, we have to do content marketing. That's the content marketing person is doing that. So do your internal plan. It's helpful every couple weeks to a month, send a little care package, probably an email. I used to send it in our, in our office. I don't think people do that anymore. But an email, go ahead and send out and say, here's the things that we're doing. And here's the positive feedback. We did a magazine 
for a company in Michigan who is an engineering company. And what the salespeople didn't realize is that other salespeople were using that magazine to get sales calls. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we need to tell the other salespeople. So those other ones are using it to get in the door to meetings they would never have unless we had this magazine. So let everybody know. Yeah. Educated them internally as well to be able to do that. I also think with marketing execs, well, not only just marketing execs, I think execs in general, when it comes to like identifying the value of content marketing, because at that executive level, everyone's very focused on the bottom line. Like, did that ebook give me sales or is this podcast worth it? There's a litany of different things that you get tasked with. So I'm wondering, how do you measure the success of content? How do I go to an executive team and say, we need this piece of content and this is what I need it to do? So I have two answers for you on that. First of all, you measure it how you measure everything else. You don't go in with a whole new playbook and say, okay, CMO, marketing executive team, content marketing is different. So you got to measure it differently. Boy, that's never going to work. How is marketing currently measured in your organization? And then your job is to make sure that you can show that through your program. Done. Don't reinvent the wheel. Those are the early days of content marketing when you get the content champions going in and say, we're going to show value per subscriber. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I love that. And I'll talk about that in a second. So this is how we're going to show it. It's like, great, value per subscriber, whatever, but I got to sell this stuff over here, but I'm looking for lead gen and I'm looking for hot leads and what that means and how we look at that or these KPIs or these behaviors, whatever it is. So don't reinvent that. So that's what I would say. If you want to run a content marketing program, first figure out how marketing is judged in your organization and then you fit it. Don't do it the other way around. Now, my favorite one is what's the value of a subscriber? So how do you measure that? So here's a really good example. And this is one from TD Ameritrade. They had a magazine called Think Money Magazine. And it was a print magazine. And it's very difficult to measure a print magazine. So how are they going to do it? It took them two years to get this data. But what they found out is that those traders, they were targeting traders, high volume traders that traded a lot of stocks and derivatives and whatnot. They found out through their CRM system and marketing automation system and everything that they were using that those people that subscribed to that magazine traded five times more than those that did not. Took them two years to get it. But amazing, the most amazing ROI you'll ever see because you say, oh my God, this magazine, when it gets into the hands of our audience, they're a better customer. Yeah. And then you're like, that's all we want. We want customers just like that. So you start looking at your business a little bit differently and say, oh, my God, this is fantastic. If we just had customers like that, then you start thinking, well, okay, that's a nurturing process. That means that we're going to think differently about how we market. That's how things get changed by having something like that. So that's what I would say is how do you measure the value of a subscriber? What's the behavior change between those that get your content and those that don't? If you can't show that, it's probably a problem with your content somewhere, your distribution strategy or something like that. But that's what I like to see. That's my favorite. I also like that you just ended with, you have to take a look at the distribution strategy as well too, because it's one thing creating it. And now like it is, you have to just distribute it and get it out to the masses because there's always a number that's attached to that for sure. I've got so many stories for you, but we used to do a program with one of the largest tech companies in the world and they churning out content like crazy. They found that 90% of their content was getting like less than 10 views. And they're just, just keep turning, just keep turning. And they were measuring it based on the amount of content they produced. I'm like, oh, geez. It takes so much to produce 
content as well, too. Yeah. And this is where a lot of people get confused with content marketing because the content comes first and then the marketing and actually should be switched. Because if you look at most content marketing departments, about 20 to 25% of time is spent on creating content. Yeah. 75% is spent on distributing that content, promoting that content, make sure it gets found, gets with the right person. So that's where you might need to look in your organization and say, maybe we need to pull back the amount of content focus on something that we can do better than anyone else, and then put a lot of that interruption marketing behind that piece of content to get it out into the hands so you can start building an audience. And then ultimately, as those things go, then you can pull back the promotion and distribution because you're like, okay, this is starting to working and you've got the flywheel working and everything's going. I love that you just said that. And I'm hoping that you can give some tips for identifying the right content that you should be creating. It's going to be case by case of your audience and who you are and the value that you're bringing. But if I'm stepping into this and I've got a ton of content that I've created, how do I decide? So yeah, it's a tough question to answer, but 90% of marketers out there are in the same boat. And this is the boat. You're producing too much content in too many places. Mm -hmm. If you look at Content Marketing Institute stats, the average enterprise creates and distributes content 13 to 16 different ways. That means that they're probably failing because they're not the New York Times maturity level where they can do these types of things. What I would probably recommend doing is do a cursory audit. You don't have to spend a lot of money on it, but spend a week or two and do an audit of all the things that you're doing. Put them all down and you'll look at it and say, oh my God, we're creating content for 15 different ways. Yeah, then start getting some data on what's working and what's not. You'll know really quickly and say, ah, we've got one that's working really well. The podcast. We've been doing this podcast for a couple of years. We're really starting to, subscribers are starting to go. We've got some partnership programs. So it's really getting promoted. It's starting to get talked about online and social. Great. We like this podcast. Then you'll find out some other things that you're doing. It's like, well, why are we even on Facebook? This Instagram thing, not really working well at all or whatever. TikTok could be anything or LinkedIn if you're not putting enough time into it. Maybe you like, oh, what's the RE newsletter is getting a 4% open rate. That's terrible. That means you're spamming people. So you just start to look at all those things because you might not even know why you started those things. And then what I would like to see is take three, four or five of those things, just kill them, just wipe them out. Tough decision to make. Change is difficult. I totally get it. But if you're asking me what you should do, probably get those resources freed up and move them over to the things that are working really well. I'd move them over to that podcast that's really working so that could be better. Focus on that and say, wow, we're getting some good traction with the podcast or your e-newsletter or whatever it is and say, wow, we have a really good opportunity to be the leading informational experts for that particular thing to that niche of people. Great. Go all in on that and get rid of the stuff that's not working and do that for the next year. That's a very simple strategy that any company of any size can do You just have to trust me that half the stuff you're doing is wasting your time and energy. And more importantly, it's wasting your customers time and energy because you have to ask yourself the question at some point, what if you weren't creating any of that content at all? Would your customers even notice? And the honest answer, probably they wouldn't. They probably wouldn't care, right? What you want them to say is, oh my God, where'd that newsletter from Widgets R Us go? I love that newsletter. No, they're not saying that. They're probably so thankful that they're not getting the spam from you anymore or it's just going to spam anyways. So that's where we want to level. Do the content audit, cut some things out and then ask yourself the question like, is this really necessary 
to help our customers live better lives or get better jobs? And it's a tough question, but if you answer that, say, no, it's not, then you've got some decisions to make on the content side. Yeah. And if you don't want to make those decisions, then you just leave where you're at or you actually just put more money into what we talked about interruption marketing, which is okay. It's not wrong to do that. It's just a different form of communication. I also think you need to kind of do both of them in order to stay steady and stay consistent, stay in front of like the right audience as well, too. Exactly. Just a point on what you were mentioning about letting go of some of these things. You have to put your ego on the shelf and really evaluate it. And it's tough because when you're creating all of this content and I've been guilty of it as well, too. Oh, but I really like to do this. I love this, but I'm not working just for myself. This is not a painting on my wall. This should serve a purpose. And I think being consistent and serving a purpose are really some key things to really successful content. Yeah. And it's what a publisher would do. Like them or not, BuzzFeed just made the very difficult decision to say they're killing their entire news division because they felt that they couldn't be competitive in that area. And they can move those resources over, get rid of some, but move those resources over to the areas where they feel they could be dominant in some other content areas. Great. That's what media companies do all the time. Yeah. But they have a little bit more incentive because they can see the numbers. You say, oh, yeah. this is the amount of revenue. This is the cost. Yes or no, whatever. It's harder from a content marketing standpoint. So we have to use some other measurements, but still the same thing applies. Sometimes you just got to kick some things to the curb so that you can be better in others. My friend Jay Klaus said this the other day, it's easier to get an A plus in one class than get all A's in five classes. Same thing, right? Look at all the content you're creating. If you were just creating one thing, you could be amazing. It could be the best <laughs> thing ever. If you're doing five different things, you know, C's get degrees, but may not be helping your customers at all. So just think about that. I love that. I actually just said C's get degrees the other day. <laughs> I could really talk to you forever about content marketing. I do have one final question for you. And it is, if you knew then what you know now, what's this advice that you give to yourself? What's this marketing advice that you give to yourself? Well, from a tactical standpoint, I would have gone into email much earlier. Two years where we weren't focused on our email marketing strategy and just doing the blog posts and whatever. And we missed a lot of subscribers that way. And that's the ultimate measurement for me from a content marketing standpoint is all the other fans and subscribers are great. Love to have them. Want the LinkedIn followers and everything. But at the end of the day, I don't control any of that data. That's all rented land. Yeah. They can change the rules at any point. Where do I have some control? I've got that opt-in connection through an email address. As far as I can tell, that's not going away. That's what I would probably be focusing on. And the other thing would be, I don't have to be on every platform. I think I miss some opportunities by, I have to do the Facebook business thing and then I should be doing something on Instagram and do I have to, and I'm worrying about whether I'm missing out on TikTok or whatever. I wish that I should have just stayed the course with LinkedIn. By the way, my LinkedIn channel is fine. Very happy with it. But I've missed a couple of years of consistency where I really could have built that in and felt like I lost some time there. So I'd say email and then just focus on the one channel. Yeah. In my case, it would be LinkedIn and I'd be a lot better off. Those are really, really great tips to leave people. And I'm right on board with you in regards to just do what you're doing really well instead of spreading yourself thin. Thank you so much for coming on here, sharing your wisdom, giving us your insights, dropping some advice, nuggets, parenting to content marketing, the whole nine yards. 
Parenting tips are us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you again so much. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Katya. We'll talk soon. Okay. So I am definitely a super fan of Joe's. It actually was very difficult for me to narrow down to just three key takeaways, but I do have them for you because I could probably talk to him for hours or even just have a specific podcast on content marketing where he and I can dive in. Maybe I'll pitch that to him for the next time. But for now, here are my key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, content marketing is like butter. It makes everything better. I love that Joe highlights the importance of integrating content marketing with other marketing efforts because just like butter, it enhances the taste of the bread. Content can elevate your search programs, public relations, and advertising campaigns. When content is strategically used across various channels, it attracts and engages your audience more effectively, really creating a cohesive and impactful marketing strategy. That's a big one, right? All right, key takeaway number two. The power of building trust through content marketing means that content marketing goes beyond mere attention grabbing. It aims to build trust and long-term relationships with the audience. By consistently delivering value and relevant information, businesses and brands can gain the trust of their customers. It's social proof. Content marketing is not just about immediate sales, but about understanding the customer needs and providing solutions over time, leading to a lasting loyalty and sustained growth. While it does require patience and time to see results, the trust-based approach proves to be more effective and customer-centric than interruptive marketing methods. It's a nice way of saying ads. <laughs> and the last key takeaway is the importance of being an advocate for content marketing, not only externally, but it is also internally, meaning within the company. Before focusing on external marketing efforts, it's really crucial to start by educating and arming your own team, making them your best spokespeople for that content. Internal communications and collaborations with HR play a real vital role in that process. Measuring the success of content marketing can be challenging. I can't tell you how many times I get this question. How are you measuring the success of it? It's a challenge, especially when executives focus on immediate bottom line results. To address this, content marketers must align their content goals with the organization's overall objectives. By setting clear hypothesis and KPIs such as increased customer loyalty, higher sales, or new customer acquisition, content marketers can really demonstrate the impact of their efforts. Regularly sharing positive feedback and success stories within the company reinforces the value of content marketing, helping executives understand its role in achieving broader business goals. And there you have it. Those are the three takeaways from this episode. I would love to hear your insights you found. Slide into my DMs with the guest's name to share. You can find me on LinkedIn, Allison Katya. Allison is the last name. Katya is the first name. You get it. You've heard me before. <laughs> Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Let me know if you want more information. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Joe or how you can get in touch with me too. Thank you again for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.